This week's episode is sponsored by Spaces. Spaces is a new platform backed by 15 plus years of educator feedback designed to document the process and progress behind student learning in your classroom. Join the Spaces community to connect with educators across North America and gain access to free teacher-created resources, help educators who are just starting out on their journey, and learn new things from teachers who have been there before. So visit community.spacesedu.com today. Uh, is this the teacher hotline? Hello, everyone. I hope everyone had an incredible summer because we are finally back at school. Guys, welcome back to the Teacher Hotline. My name is Ronald Hay, where we try to answer some of the most pressing questions for teachers in and outside of the classroom. Today, our question comes from Christine from the Durham Catholic District School Board. Christine, what can we do for you today? Hey, Ron. I'm a grade 12 math teacher, and I'm really excited for the start of the school year. One thing that always weighs on my mind teaching senior students is their grades. It's always a battle between the parents or students versus myself in giving a quote-unquote fair grade. I love teaching grade 12s, but this is the part I hate the most. It bothers me when I hear other kids say that I got an easy grade from so-and-so's class or math is easier at another school. In my opinion, I think grade inflation is real. But the question is, as a teacher, how can we prevent this from happening in our own classrooms? Or is this something where the ministry or university needs to step in and do something about because I'm a bit tired of always trying to defend the grades I give my students. Thank you so much. You are preaching to the choir. Me too. I also love teaching grade 12s, but you are right. Once January hits and Marks goes in, it certainly could be an unpleasant battle at times with students and parents in regards to grades, especially if your course is being compared to other teachers or schools. So to start the school year and talking about grades, I want to bring in my new boss, aka new head of school and deputy principal of Appleby College, Mr. Fraser Grant. Mr. Grant has been working at Appleby College for 27 years and counting. Over the years, he served primarily as an economics teacher, but also served in various leadership roles such as the senior school director role, assistant house director, and was the school's assistant head of academics for the last 12 years. Fraser has his M.Ed. from Brock University and Master's in Economics from McMaster. But the true beauty of this story is Fraser was actually a former student at Appleby College back in the good old days and was part of the 1987 graduating class and now has climbed his way all the way to the top as our new head of school. So in the words of Drake, Mr. Grant indeed did start from the bottom and now he is here. Mr. Fraser Grant, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time today. My pleasure, Ron. I'm thrilled to join you. This is going to be fun. First off, before we start talking about any of this great inflation stuff, I just want to say congratulations on your new appointment as Appleby's new head of school and deputy principal. After 27 years at the school, plus your time as a student, here you are. So what has been some of the emotions been like leading up to the first day of school? Uh, that's a great question. I think emotions, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for the school year and to get back to in-person learning uh, for, for all the benefits and positive of 
online learning, I think being with our students, as you know, and I know from the classroom experience, it's not quite the same. And thankfully, we were able to have a little bit of the experience with both of our semestered cohorts last year where we got to be see them in class because I, I can't imagine have been online the whole year without being having that in-person connection. So, I mean, I think I'm excited. Uh, there's, you know, a little bit of trepidation, of course, because, you know, our departing head of school, Katrina Sampson, who I believe was on an earlier podcast of yours, uh, she, I admire her greatly and, you know, she did a, a fantastic job. So I think, you know, filling her shoes, although, you know, not the high heel type, but filling her shoes will be, will be tough. But uh, I think I'm up to it. Well, you have such a unique story. What a, what a fairy tale story that you have. Like I mentioned in your bio, you were part of this school back in 1987 as part of the graduating class. In your wildest dream, did you ever dream of becoming the principal of your very own high school? Was was this even part of the career plan in terms of going into leadership uh, in education? Not at all. I my my interest has always been sort of economics and finance and business. And you know, I like like in the eighties <clears throat> when we all watched the original Wall Street with Michael Douglas. That was our dream to be working on Bay Street uh, in the financial. You know, having martini lunches, that was the goal. And I had no... Pretty sure we could still do that. <laughs> I know. We could. We can introduce <laughs> that now. Martini lunches for all the faculty. <laughs> I had no interest in education other than I really like school. Uh, but I had no interest in being a teacher because because ultimately it wasn't it wasn't the career path that I saw myself in. And, and it, you know, in terms of, you know, the mighty dollar, it didn't seem like it was going to fulfill that that goal. But other people saw in me an educator, um, and I sort of took an opportunity that that, that appeared to teach here, um, and I was going to do it temporarily only, and that was back in 1993, 94, and I never left. So there you go. Uh, Fell in love with it. Here you are now as the head of school and deputy principal. So my first question I have to ask you, and I, I'm sure a lot of teachers at our school is wondering... What's with this additional title, deputy principal? You, you sound like a part-time police officer at our school. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I think I get a badge. Ooh. I hope I do. Um, <laughs> as the deputy, I'm not sure. I wasn't part of the discussion. It was just given to me. So okay. I'm not going to complain because it's pretty cool. Now you can just call me the deputy. Deputy, yes. We used to call Fraser Dean Grant, but now I guess we got to call you Deputy Grant. That's uh, right. Very fancy title. It's more, it's more. Uh, it's a little more. Maybe it has that Western theme. I'm not sure where it came from, but I'm not complaining. Deputy. I like the title, Deputy Principal. And final question about your role before we move on. Now, I'm not a history teacher by any means, but I've heard in the past, some cultures, there would be some sort of sacrificial lamb whenever there was a new leader in place to showcase their power and dominance over the group. Will there be anything of sorts of this year to show our faculty that you are now in charge? There's a few uh, candidates uh, I was thinking, you know, within our department, there could be even a few candidates, uh, maybe Dr. Panev's elusive bird, we could do some kind of sacrifice that has appeared in a few of his zoom calls, but, but no, no, it's, you know, everything is going to be peaceful. It's all love and kindness. That's, that's the new mantra. All right, Fraser, why don't we jump into what our caller will really want to know about today is about grade inflation and about grades and just in general. Uh, so let's just go straight out the bat here. Uh, in your opinion, do you think grade inflation exists here in Canada or in Ontario? 
It's a great, it's a great question. I don't think we'll ever come. There's not going to be one answer uh, across, across courses, but yes, I do. I do think there is. I mean, I think, but I think it's, it's, it's part of a bigger picture because I think if we, if we actually get down to the root of it and we start sort of at the top and look at jobs, I think there's, there's credit inflation um, in terms of degree inflation. So I think, you know, what jobs, you know, when you graduated, say, in the 1960s or 70s with a degree, four-year degree or three-year BA from university, you were, you were set up for a job, middle management. I think that's changed. I think we see sort of in the job market expectations and requirements on people in terms of degrees and what they need to earn. And a master's level now has replaced almost that level of an undergrad degree. Um, graduating just with a high school degree, I mean, that that is doesn't open many future job prospects, whereas in the 60s, it did. And so I think that's an interesting piece to sort of frame everything. There's been degree inflation. I think there's been inflation in uh, university requirements, specifically as <clears throat> we see more and more universities in Canada are creating specialized programs and schools. Um, you know, you look at all the business schools, which are now named. Um you know, the Smith School, DeGroot, uh, you know, and you, you can go on and on. And you, they're all named and they they add that cachet, that 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 interest. But that's prompted sort of grade inflation because now I have a specialized program that I can elevate this grade and, and requirement for. I mean, I graduated from Applebee, as you mentioned, in 87, 1987, and I came out with an 82 average. That was my that was my grade. Was that good at the time? It got me into Queens. Yeah. And at that time in 82 was, was, you know, probably a pretty strong average. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I don't think a grade 12 leaving Appleby with an 82 would be able to get into the same level of programs across Canada in terms of university applications and admissions. I think there'd be a lot of closed doors for them. What they need to do. So I think there ha- there is great inflation. I, I I do, but I don't think it's I think it's it's a systemic problem in society. So you served a really interesting role for the last twelve years. You before this role, you were our assistant head of academics. And one of the things mm-hmm. for for our listeners out there that you know aren't familiar with the Applebee community, um, you know our grades funnel through Fraser over here, uh, whether it's our report card grades, our exam grades, it all gets funneled through to him. So you kind of have that luxury of seeing the bigger picture over the last 12 years of, of grades coming through your your doors. So what have you noticed? Um, I guess 12 years ago would have been 2009. Uh, have you actually seen uh, grades actually increase and uptick over the last 12 years at Applebee specifically? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, you know, and I think... Let's frame this a little bit. You know, of course, at, at independent schools, and App, I only speak about Applebee, we have certain entrance requirements where we're, re, we're able to select our students, and there are sort of some academic requirements. So I would argue our student body is a little bit different than the traditional high school because we're, we select our students based on, and one of the criteria is their academic performance and academic excellence. So our, our students are filtered a little bit ahead of, ahead of the game. And I think when we look at sort of how we mark and and what we introduced in terms of sort of changing slightly the growing success marking categories, we added that fifth 
um, sort of level of in the, you know, and we, we created a new grading schedule, which was, you know, instead of the level four being 80 to hundred, we added level four, level five, and we created that 90 to hundred. And I think our student body is not necessarily reflective of, of North American student bodies because we're able to select. So I think that's, that helps frame things a little, but, you know, I was expecting a question like this. So I went back and did some digging. So <laughs> what I'll do is I think, you know, your listeners probably know, Ron, that you teach accounting. Yes. Right. So let's yes. compare back to 2010-11. I both have the median and the mean Ooh. Uh, from 2010-2011, and I'll compare it with last year's. Please, please. Right. I, I, I need to show this to my students now because <laughs> they'll think I'm a tough marker. Yeah. So the classic ministry, you know, Ontario Ministry of Education, BAT4M course. Yes. The course median in 2010. So I'll I'll just use the graduating year. So 2011. Yeah. So 10 years ago, we'll do a 10 year comparison. So that accounting median was 87. Yeah. Your median last year, 2021 grad grads was 87. Huh. <clears throat> the course average. So the mean in 2011 was 87. Your average or median across your students last year was 86. Wow. So Mr. Hay, across in the past 10 years, you've 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 shown great deflation. <laughs> that is incredible. I love that. I, I'm actually really proud of that. that <laughs> so we'll look at we'll look at the course that I'm most connected with, which is economics. I'm not going to go through all the courses. Of course, of course. Ones. I'm going to look at econ because it's my course. Then I'll look at an art and then I'll look at a math and science. Okay. Just quickly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So median and uh mean. In economics in 2011 was 88. Last year it was 91. So a slight increase. Right. Uh, if I look at drama, uh, in 2011, the mean and the median were 92, both. Mm -hmm. And last year, 2021, the mean and median for drama was 93. Okay. So a little so less. slight. I mean, slight. over 10 years, it could be a cohort. Like yep. we don't. It, could be indifferent, yeah, yeah. Insignificant, right? Right. Um, calculus. So, which is a you know common course, and it's often where a lot of the hungriest mark uh, concerns are from students, parents, teachers, because it is, you know, as we know, calculus is required for business, science. Right. It's sort of the key math course, which most top-level university programs require, engineering, right. across the board. So calculus in 2011, the median was 88 in 2011 and the average or mean was 87 last year the median was 87 so it dropped a percent and the mean was 85 so actually last year's calculus marks were lower than they were in 2011 for Appleby. interesting very interesting so uh, i don't see a consistent trend i look at data management you know or sorry ap stats so we go to an ap course so advanced placement 2011, 94 and 92 were the me, median and mean. Last year, it was 94 and 95. So the median was the same, slight increase. And in, so, I mean, I, I just don't see the trend in our marks across them. Now I can right. do a study of them all and go. Right, right, right. Um, but to your point, for, for context, circling back to what you said earlier, right? We, we, at our school, we have the luxury of selecting our students. So perhaps... Um, you know, even like heck 10 years ago, right? These are students that 
they are all hungry to, to get into these top universities. So it doesn't surprise me that the, the grades were, were so stellar 10 years ago versus compared to now, right? They haven't really changed too much. So, And um, I, think, I think there's an interesting piece to that as well, Ron, that I, I don't know about you, but there's a Harvard prof, and he's actually an economics prof, um, who, because who, Harvard is at the sort of forefront of a lot of this great inflation talk. Right. About, you know, every everyone graduating from from Harvard has you know has an A or an A plus, and you know, and I think they're they're an interesting study. I think I think last year they admitted four point five percent of their of their applicants only based on sort of their, their requirements to get in. And then once you're in Harvard, your marks sort of seem to remain pretty high. This econ prof, um, he's argued, and his name's uh, Professor Harvey Mansfield. He oh, believes... <laughs> he believes I'll bring him up later, but please tell me more. He's an opponent of great inflation. And he says that, in his view... Today's students are actually more capable of those that he came across and he's been teaching, you know, since the 70s, 80s. He thinks today's students, uh, in some sense, are earning those grades. And so we need to reflect that they're they're stronger. Now that's that's a loaded argument, right? How can how can you argue that today's students are more capable than those that graduated, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago? But I think there is some merit to investigate that. I think the access to information our students today have is so much broader than what than what we had even when we graduated. I mean, I'm way older than you, Ron. So, but I mean, if you think of what you graduated high school with and how savvy you were and your interpersonal relationships, your ability to research, the access to information, I certainly don't think I was as savvy as as some of the students who graduated last year. And 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 I think they might be more capable in some areas. Um, I won't name one student, but I, last year I, I gave out my first hundred in 27 years of teaching ever wow. to a student on, on the e, AP econ exam. In their wow. It was perfect. Wow. And uh, she, I think you may have taught the same student. Yeah, I know who you were talking about, I think. <laughs> she was as strong as I've ever seen. I've never, you know, I think she was, she was brilliant. Um, yep. so is that great inflation or is that, you know, uh, that's an interesting question and I, you know, it's a chicken or egg thing. I think she's, she certainly earned the hundred percent. Yeah. So here's the thing about inflation, right? And again, I, I know inflation with currency is not the same thing as inflation with grades, but there's some similarities in the fact that, you know, it's rising in prices and rising in grades and, in you know, being an economics teacher, you could probably confirm that, you know, inflation in our economy, it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's controlled and our salaries and income kind of rise at the same prices and it's predictable. And there's a target where the Bank of Canada kind of tries to aim for each year. Is there something similar in grades where you think inflation could be a good thing if we look at it through a certain lens? Or is there really no way of spinning it? Inflation in grades is just not good. Great question. And I think it's a really tough one to sort. I think, I think, <clears throat> students need to, to, to be rewarded for their effort and their capability. So is that great inflation or when you, when you use the term inflation, I think what you, what you're, what you're sort of indicating and what people argue is that the underlying 
fundamental piece of, of why they got that grade isn't valid. So, you know, you look at, you know, grade, or grade inflation versus price inflation, right? A liter of gas versus in the 1960s versus a liter of gas today, it's still a liter of gas, but the price has exploded, right? So we look at the difference in inflation there. I don't think you can compare students and use the, I don't like the term inflation just from that standpoint, because I think, I think we're comparing a little bit of apples and oranges when we look at students today versus, you know, when we looked at in the 1960s. I read a fascinating thing, actually, which was also linked to Harvard that in the 1960s, they saw a jump in GPA across the states, exactly from professors using grades to protect students from being drafted into the Vietnam War. So to keep more students in university, they sort of artificially moved grades to protect them so they wouldn't be drafted. Wow. So, I mean, that was fascinating. I didn't, I didn't even, you know, I, I had never heard that before. Um, I just, I, I struggle with the term inflation Interesting. That, from that standpoint, because I think a student in the 1960s is quite different than a student today. Whereas a liter of gas is the same. So let's you, you mentioned the why piece uh, a moment ago, and let's use another example here. So in 2006, this is when I graduated from high school, I applied to Western BMOS. And at the time, I remember that the entrance requirement was about 75 to about 78%. And I was curious, I decided to look it up the other day to see what the requirement is now. And that has now jumped up to roughly about 85 to 88% in terms of getting into that same program. So about a 10% increase in standards in the last 15 years. So my first question is, what is causing that inflation? Now, again, using your analogy, though, the whole chicken or the egg analogy, you know, is it the teachers giving out these grades or perhaps the students working a little bit harder and universities are trying to adjust? Or is it the other way around where universities are requiring more and teachers are trying to, I guess, help students a little bit more by adjusting their grades? Uh, again, the chicken or the egg analogy. Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple elements. I think one is it's more competitive. And so there are more kids and students applying for university and post-secondary education than there ever have been. And I think universities, which you know get a chunk in Canada of public funding money, they haven't been able to keep up in terms of infrastructure, whether it be um, beds, classrooms, profs, right? Their, their budgets are, are unlike sort of many of the private school, private universities in the States, their budgets are pretty fixed. So one way they can raise more money is let more students in, but they, there's a balance there is they can't let in more than our, you know, there are beds available and classroom spaces available. So as more and more students across across Canada and Ontario are applying to university, they've had to raise the uh, averages to sort of keep them at bay almost. You know, you look at some of the smaller schools, um, which aren't so small anymore, but, you know, traditionally, you know, a Queens, which was a smaller, has a smaller infrastructure than Western, um, has, you know, hasn't been able to admit as many students. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very interesting, so they raise their, admissions averages to funnel only the top students into their program because they can't accept as many as they normally would in the past. And that, that leads to this, this sort of sense of inflation. 
So what's interesting for us as a school is we're kind of caught because I think that our grounding principle here at Appleby and certainly what I believe is the top Appleby student academically should be able to perform well and achieve well at any university in the world. I firmly believe that. I don't think that if we look at our top students graduating from Appleby, they should be able to go anywhere. But I agree. They have to have the mark first to get in. And if you think of Canada, the only hurdle really they have to jump over is that mark. Yes, we have personal essays and yes, we have. But unlike the U.S., which, you know, has has looked at many different ways of 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 admitting students and is, is I think, a little further ahead and more creative than Canada. The ultimate thing in Canada is your mark. You know, you look at somewhere and I'm not going to name schools, but some of the schools in Quebec, which lots of our students want to get into, there's a, yeah. there's a cutoff. And if you don't meet that cutoff, it doesn't matter what else you've done. You're not getting in. And I think that is, that is what we're facing as educators. Um, because I firmly believe that all, any top student should be able to go to that school in Quebec, but if they don't have that average, we're disadvantaging them. So that sort of led to this, grades creep where you know you've got the degree creep for jobs you've got so does a does a a bmos or a queen's commerce or whatever it might be degree mean as much as it did when you graduated now you have to get your mba or now you have to and so it's it's that creeps up admission standards creep up more they're funneling fewer kids into fewer spots there's more competition so they raise the you know, and they've only got so many beds they can use. It's just, it's a fascinating piece. It is, it is very fascinating too, again, without derailing our conversation, but it sort of ties in, right? Like, I think we can all agree that a credit at one school isn't the same hmm. as a credit at another school. Like my BAT4M, grade 12 accounting, my grade 12 students can attest to this. Is They're not, it's earning it is different than earning it at a different school but you're still getting the same credit right. and applying to the same university. And it becomes a little bit tricky when you know, to your point, like I know my students are capable of performing at Queens, Ivy, any of the top business schools in Canada or the U S but I'm challenging them a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Whereas perhaps maybe another school again, right. They could just given out grades to, to their students, but like, yeah, you know what? I don't care. Here's your 95 grade 12 accounting and uh, you know, good luck next year. Right. And it's a little bit different. And I kind of have this moral dilemma where it's like, I don't want to give this away, but it's also not fair because, you know, the school next to you is just giving these things away for free here. And I think that's you hit that you've hit hit the sort of key point. Right. We want to make sure we want to have a rigorous, you know, and I can speak to Apple. We want to have a rigorous academic program and we want to challenge our students and give them experiences. But we also want to make sure that we're a stepping stone. Yeah. We're they're on to the next step. And as we know, at the end of the day, when you're applying for a job or applying for grad school or law school or whatever, your grade 12 marks, they aren't the key. It's where, you know, it's the university you went to and those connections. And so we're just a stepping stone. And I think, you know, one thing is we can't also inflate our, our, our value on their future career. Um, it's, it's interesting. And we, you know, I, I think, you know, we all sort of paid attention when the University of Waterloo came out and started to look at, okay, let's look at the, 
the difference between what some high school grads who made it into our engineering program, what their high school uh, sort of marks were, and let's look at their marks at Waterloo and let's look at the discrepancy. And they were, you know, bold enough to publish a list. And and there was one school in Oakville on that list across Ontario. And I think it's, it's, it always sort of, um, it's an interesting exercise to go through when, when suddenly you would be a teacher or a student graduating from one of those high schools. And suddenly also you're painted with a brush now because you didn't earn those marks because they were given to you. Whereas I'm, I don't think that's the case for all the students. Certainly there's evidence that at the engineering program that happened, but imagine being a, a grad of one of those high schools that's in that article and on that list. And suddenly your whole, you know, high school grad and those your marks are cast into question and you don't know what to believe. Um, and I think yeah. it's, it's, def- it's defendable. I mean, we weren't on the list. Oh, good. I was actually going to ask. I'm like, do you, were we on the list? No, no. And you know what? I think that that is interesting because there were very few private school, independent schools. I, you know, we're not a, we're, we're lumped in the private school, but you know, as you know, we're an independent yeah. school because we're not for profit. Right. We've been around for 110 years. I th- I'd like to think we know what we're doing. Um, right. And no, we weren't on the list. And you know, when our guidance counselors talked to university admissions people there's a ultimately they look i mean let's let's be honest all every university really wants someone who applies to stay for four years because then they're guaranteed a revenue source for four years that university it's a lot of work for them if they admit someone and they fail out now they have to fill that spot and there's an admissions piece and there's you know sunk costs in that so they want to make sure that the kids who they let in are going to stay for four years. Yeah. So they, the university admissions people know, you know, if they, if they admit an Appleby student, chances are high, they're going to stay for four years. And then the financial people are happy because right. there's a revenue source, which is guaranteed for four years. At the end of the day, you're right. Like, and I think people often forget about this, right? A lot of these universities, they they run like a business, and they you know, money talks, right? They they care about the tuition money coming through. They, to your point, they don't want to fill spots over again, so they have a uh, a large investment in terms of making sure that they admit the the proper students. I want to save that conversation in a second without jumping too ahead about the the Waterloo adjustment factor because that was huge in the news. And I want to talk about that a little bit more deeper and get your thoughts on it. So I'm looking at the time. And it looks like we're running a little bit short. So why don't we put a pin in this conversation and save that conversation for next week where we're going to talk more about how we can actually fix this problem with grade inflation. So for all you listeners out there, thank you again for tuning into this week's episode of the Teacher Hotline. If you enjoyed this week's content, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, you can always follow us and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, and any other streaming platform services. Guys, we will see you next week with Fraser Grant, where we continue our conversation about great inflation. Woo!